millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Whatever Next. I'm one of your hosts, Adeline Barra, and I'm here with your co-hosts, Josephine Jay and Hannah Feeben-Smith. We are three Chinese adoptees who met in 2019 through an adoptee Facebook group in Edinburgh, Scotland. Together, we created the Whatever Next website in January 2021 and have been so grateful for the support and feedback that we've received so far. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and was adopted in 1996 at eight months old from Hunan, China. Josephine grew up in South Hampstead, London, and was adopted at 18 months old from Hangzhou, China, in 1996. Hannah is from Dorset, England, and was adopted at 20 months old from Nanning, China, in 2002. In this podcast, we want to share some conversations that we often found ourselves having between us, as adoptees. But now we want to make an effort to open them up to those who aren't. It can feel easy to compartmentalize these adoption-related chats into adoptee-only spaces, but we want to try to change that to help make these conversations feel less daunting and isolating. These will range from childhood experiences, racism, dating, traveling back to China, and identity. In this first episode, we'll be sharing a few examples of discussions that we've already had with people around us, like a significant other, a non-adoptive best friend, and an adoptive mother. We want to try to have these honest dialogues, not only to share with you, but to also document change in ourselves for the future. We hope you enjoy. This is Whatever Next. Who wants to start? <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the nicest voice? <laughs> I think Josephine has the nicest voice. I think Addy has the most welcome voice. You think so? No. What's your customer service the last, voice? Oh my god, no. <laughs> Hi, how are you? My name is Adeline. I'll be taking care of you. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this is whatever next. We started it in January 2021, but we all met each other in Edinburgh in 18, 2019? 2019, yeah. Like 2019. Tell end of 2019. Through an adoptee Facebook group. And we are all Chinese adoptees. Yeah, we started recording for fun, our conversations, because we would always talk, inevitably talk about adoption when we were all three hanging out. And so one night, we kind of just recorded for fun to see what would happen and to see how it would feel listening back to our voices and listening to what we ended up talking about, about adoption. And then we started to do it again and again. And then we had the idea of creating it into a website. It would be really interesting having it as 
a time capsule and especially as adoption is something which um, you grew up with and will be with you for forever because it's part of your identity and I think it'll be cool to watch how it evolves over the years and we always say that it'll be a lifelong project it would be really exciting um looking back I mean even the conversations that we had at the beginning of this year to see how our thoughts have changed and the conversations and how we've shifted to um different topics which is really cool yeah, I mean, adoption is a lifelong thing, isn't it? It's, you don't really have an unsubscribe button as much as you would like to sometimes. Yeah, we're stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, no, we started the website because we wanted to kind of broaden conversations around um, adoption. I think we all noticed that there was a certain degree of kind of inertia and gatekeeping within some of the adoption communities we found online. And a lot of the adoption narrative that at least I grew up with uh, was very centred around the kind of child's perspective and now as a young adult it's kind of like what do I do um and I think we all kind of wanted um we just found ourselves having the same conversations about you know how how do we do this and I mean people are choosing to have kids later as well and so they turn to turn to methods of contraception like IVF surrogacy and adoption and so I think it's something that people should be informed in if they are perhaps looking to adopt because these you know they should understand some of the problems that their kids might go through um, and how did we end up getting to the name Whatever Next? So um, Whatever Next was a like kids book my mum used to read to me when I was little. It's about a bear who wants to go to the moon in a cardboard box. And I think we all kind of gravitated towards the name because, I mean, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? It's Whatever Next. Um, we don't know what we're doing. It's <laughs> We're all works in progress and we're just trying to model this thing through, but kind of just flying blind yeah exactly yeah we're landing on the hoof and I mean this last year and a half um the pandemic and everything I don't think anyone really knows whatever next um but hopefully we can work it out together and what does the 2020 part mean (laughs) 2020 is um because that was the year that we started talking about these things seriously um it was also the only available domain that we could buy and um (laughs) I think we'll say 2020 vision because we want to um, bring a bit of clarity to some of these conversations and especially some of the more divisive issues with adoption and kind of tackle them from both sides and I think work out for ourselves um, as well as anyone who's tuning in with us uh, where we all stand on those. Yeah, I think one of our big ethos for whatever next is having an open dialogue and opening conversations and discussions that feel uncomfortable when talking about adoption topics like is adoption trauma versus is adoption love mm-hmm. talking about the fog talking about race. interracial adoptees considered people of color yeah or should they be um or as an interracial adoptee do you identify as one because um, I think when I first started getting more involved into the adoptee community I felt like there was always uh, a predominant opinion especially on online forums mm-hmm. and a variety of topics and heavy topics and seeing that there was a like a one popular opinion that everybody seemed to agree on mm-hmm. especially in like the echo chamber of social media mm-hmm. it felt like there wasn't a lot of room for open discussion and thinking about the other side of the conversation so I'm happy that at whatever next we have the space to do that I guess and I hope that listeners will appreciate that too <laughs> 
what we found oh sorry sorry, go ahead i was just saying what we found um, from working on the project like what what's come out for you i'm excited to have like different conversations not only with you guys with whatever next but i'm starting to have more conversations with the people around me in my life about adoption or about race um about just growing up and being Mm -hmm. an adult (laughs) so it's helped me open discussions outside of whatever next because of whatever next that makes sense what about you guys yeah i mean similar with you um too is that um that it has opened up discussions with my friends and family and i mean for me i hadn't really talked or um much about my adoptive identity well since coming to uni I only sort of just started exploring um that part of my identity and talking and chatting with you guys has been really really lovely because I have time to self-reflect on um topics which we discuss and I can learn from you too um lots of uh pearls of wisdom (laughs) (laughs) as from you we can learn from you yeah as well um uh, <laughs> I'm not sure you can but yeah <laughs> it's really lovely chatting with you guys and these Friday sessions I always look forward to and it's it's been a great time just I don't know keeping that part of the week where I can self uh, I don't know reflect on that part yeah. and where would you suggest if someone was interested in learning more about this where would you where would you go for that for more information <laughs> if you want to learn about adoption I think you should talk to adoptees um it's one of those things that it's very much like a learn by living and obviously everyone's going to have such different opinions and that's one of the things that I've really learned from this project obviously it's not just like go grab an adoptee and kind of shake them and ask them what they think of everything but um it's a past adoption is a personal thing therefore personal narratives and personal histories are going to be your greatest base for understanding and I think mm-hmm. that's what we want to do with this website, isn't it? Um, yeah. Kind of bring a few yeah. of those to light. Also because the representation of adoption in the media, and this is something I know we've talked about to quite a great extent, is um, is is kind of a bit broad brush. And I, you know, kind of in Disney, it's a big one. Like um, there's only <laughs> three Disney movies where both parents make it to the end. It's um, And one of those is 101 Dalmatians. But I think the orphan complex is used as a big crutch you have Harry Potter you have Bambi you have Lion King and it's meant to be this big formative moment that Harry Potter all the superhero films basically yeah um that is this big kind of turning point it's not all about that there's a lot of down days and there's a lot of stuff to work through you don't just wake up and jump on Pride Rock and defeat Voldemort (laughs) 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 adopting narratives definitely need more um representation in media for sure. And not the orphan. Like that's... And not the, not the orphan. Not the <laughs> oh, baby orphan. That was such a bad film. <laughs> oh. And so what do you, what do you think um, adoptees tuning in could learn from this podcast and the website? I don't know. It's, it's a tough one because I think um, I spent a lot of my teenage years um, not wanting to interact with the adoptee community because I think I was trying to work things out on my own. But I think knowing that other people are probably going through the same thing like we're you're not that unique in your thoughts and your feelings but that other people yeah other people go through the same thing yeah I think if I were to listen to something like this when I was younger I think I would have found it comforting to hear older adoptees work things out in conversation but at the same time not claim that they know everything 
it's okay to have still have questions and to have these open discussions and have different opinions to leave space for like answering your own questions and if they listen to the podcast I mean going through some of the things that I think we're going through like kind of dating and um, finding jobs and just navigating adultish life because that's like I don't know what to do and I think it's very yeah. comforting to be able to talk to you guys and just be like, how do we shift at the restaurant? Um, <laughs> also, that's not just because I'm adopted. Like adoption isn't your whole personality. There's so many other things on that. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it is. It, it, it does kind of play into some of the interactions that you have daily, especially with relationships. I think that's a big one. And kind of like how you guys navigate those waters. Speaking of relationships. Oh, go on. <laughs> is this a trauma um, dump? Ooh, ooh. No. <laughs> I was going to introduce one of the clips. Oh, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so since this is, um, the pilot, we want to share a little bit about the conversations that we've recorded and had previously to give an idea of what kind of topics and conversations we're going to have for the podcast. These are some of the clips that we've already had in interviews with people who are in our lives, like our significant other and parents and best friends who are not adopted. In this episode, we're going to share three clips. One is between me and or should I say that it's me I mean you're gonna work out from your voice (laughs) (laughs) some other American adoptee who sounds just like me (laughs) (laughs) but who is not me (laughs) Uh, yeah I did an interview with my boyfriend talking about adoption and being in an interracial relationship which I think was uncomfortable for both of us but in the end we both felt better at the end of it at the end of the conversation but part of the reason that we did this is because we wanted to bring these conversations outside the adoptive triangle and the adoptive triangle is the kind of the adoptee the mother the sorry the adoptee the birth parents and the adoptive parents and so that's why we turned to our nearest and dearest because we wanted to hear about how it affected them and kind of their thoughts going forward and because I think it is also something daunting for them to know how to talk to us about it and that's one of the things that came up in my interview with um, my best friend that's going to come up as like she didn't always know what to say or how to say it and that wasn't through kind of ill will that was just through kind of feeling a bit unsure because you do you don't have to talk to people about these big things um do you feel since we're together and that adoption has become more of or I've become more involved with adoption in the adoption community in my life do you feel like um, you feel obligated to learn more or do you want to learn more as I learn more? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should, like from myself, I feel like I should be more proactive in learning about it and for, you know, so that I can support you and what you're doing and understand a certain amount. <laughs> Thanks, <dude. laughs> That's nice of you. <laughs> I know it must not be easy to to process everything um, that I'm processing and learning about because I mean it's difficult for me. So I can imagine how it how it looks or feels like on the as an outsider as well. Because mm-hmm. it is all very like complex once you get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> is that how is that how you view it? It's like if you're adopted, you're the insider and you have more insight into it. And then if you're not, it's like impossible to grasp um that's how it feels like on on my side yeah because 
I mean, if you're not adopted, you don't really have any um, like reference or, you know, something to like relate it back to. So it's kind of learning from scratch, not in a good or bad way, just as like, I don't expect you to understand, you know, like my, my whole life experience because it's not fair to you, you know, just like, I don't know what it feels like to be in your shoes. You know what I mean? Do you feel like that it's impossible to grasp on your end? I think, yeah, probably impossible to grasp the feelings because, you know, I can imagine that there's a lot of sadness that comes with thinking about, you know, the means of being put up for adoption and being adopted. Whereas I don't have, you know, that, like the sense of where do I come from? Who are my parents? These Mm -hmm. kinds of things, these kinds of like, you know, existential questions which I don't have to have yeah I've got enough existential angst without having that on top of it as well (laughs) but I can yeah so I don't think I'm able to grasp that Mm. which is something I yeah probably wouldn't want to have to grasp with Mm. but yeah I think that yeah it's difficult to have conversations with people who aren't adopted um about adoption but even though it's difficult doesn't mean that you know we shouldn't try, but I think it's something that everybody's still trying to figure out how to navigate. Cause I was telling, um, or I don't know. I tell everybody how, like whenever I meet another adoptee or, um, even just between us starting this website, speaking about adoption comes as it's very fluid and natural and it's very easy to talk about it. Cause of course, you know, we can relate to each other in our personal experiences, but it's weird having like people in my life who I feel very close to, but in this whole other area, compartmentalized, do you feel like it's difficult? <laughs> what to talk about or to think about? Uh, both. Um, yeah, I think in the way that, like in this situation, I feel like I would, I'm free to talk about because you know that like that's the topic that we're talking about so it's not going to catch you off guard mm-hmm. so I feel like in this situation I could you know almost bring up anything and maybe you know you're in the right place to deal with it mm-hmm. but you know in, in days where we're just hanging out I just don't think I would want to bring it up in case it you know put a dark cloud over you and you were went inside yourself and you're thinking about it a lot <laughs> you know yeah, but you don't have to worry about that. I mean, I guess, well, I guess it's different because we're together and you, know, you should be able to ask me whatever you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. And adoption, it, there are some dark topics in it, but it's not every time that I think about adoption that it puts a dark cloud over me. Sometimes if I talk about adoption, I feel very like light and happy because I've bridged a new connection in conversation, you know? So it can be positive. It's not always sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I don't want to roll the dice. But yeah, I should I should try and question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it means a lot that you're open and, you know, want to try at least. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's the least I can do. <laughs> that was the second time Rowan and I did the recording because the first time we were both really nervous and so the audio didn't turn out very well but I think the second time around we both felt a little bit more confident had a little bit more to say because the first time we talked 
we tried to do the recording. It was also the first time we sat down and only talked about adoption. So that was a first for us in general. So I think there was a lot of pressure and a bit of awkwardness from it. But I'm glad we still recorded it because it's it's just a part of the, the process. The process. <laughs> a tough conversations to have. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad that we were he he was open to it yeah willing to to just kind of sit and listen sometimes yeah and sometimes that's all you can mm. ask for them isn't it mm-hmm. and it's great that he he's willing to try yeah i, I wonder what kind of questions um other people would be interested in hearing between us as a as a couple if anyone has any suggestions holler at us yep. mm-hmm. at uh whatever next 2020 at gmail.com good job Hannah. <laughs> 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 and i I am. I think it's interesting that like we're. I mean, we talk about having open dialogues, and like that's what we like preach. But I'm happy that we're practicing it too, and like going through it as like a new thing ourselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's good. <laughs> did you Did you play Masters? I did. I did play Masters after that. He was really impressed with her, like how I was too. <laughs> he thought the conversation was really insightful and honest and very very self-reflective and refreshing to hear a a conversation that didn't feel like it was just running around in circles Mm. yeah she's great (laughs) yeah I'm really lucky to have her like what was your conversation with Hester like it was great I don't think I've ever had a conversation I mean I've had conversations with her about it but I've never had conversation with her about it in that way I mean (laughs) we were both rather drunk I think (laughs) there was so much editing to be done um also just how how much I arm and her in conversations it was really great she is so amazing she's really eloquent she's such a great thinker and like all those things come through um and it was great to hear her perspective on adoption and how she would think about adopting maybe in later life as well and I think that's that's some that, that's a conversation I think that's come of this. I've been talking to more friends about kind of their own non-adoptive friends. Um, if that was something that they would consider, um, should I play Can the play the clip? Yeah. Do you think knowing me has changed your views on adoption? Yeah, I mean, I'm very pro-adoption, and you know, I'd consider adopting myself. I mean, it doesn't really stress me out that much because I've always thought if you had a baby who wasn't yours, it's still a baby. And I think you still have the same instincts. I've never really been a believer in the natural, the arguments based around, oh, you have a baby. And then, you know, I know that people go through postnatal depression and not everyone connects with their babies. And when I was younger, I was just, if someone cares for you and is your person who's there for you always, that's motherhood. I never thought that if I adopted a child that I wouldn't bond with them as well as if I had my own child. So I feel if you think like that, you're going into parenthood a bit wrong. The idea of parenthood isn't to make a mini you, it's to help a a person become a person. So adoption wouldn't get in the way of that. I mean, obviously, I think if you are adopting in a racist world, a kid of a different race, like those are all considerations to have going in. But the most important thing is whether you're willing to love a child. Adoptees hold this very unique space. And I I, I feel weird saying adoptees because obviously everyone who's been adopted has experienced that so differently. But I think that's the power of being an adoptee and getting together as a group is that you have such diverse experiences while also having these common threads which 
I feel like enlighten you more about what it is to be a family, what it is to love someone, what it is to be a human and interact with society than it would from someone who's lived within an assumption. I'm not sure if that makes sense. No, I, I think it does. And I think lived within assumptions is a really good way of putting it because there's so many question marks and blanks in adoptive narratives. People who aren't adopted just never kind of question because they've always been filled. I love that clip. Uh, that's just a whole like interview. Stand to the Hester yeah. show. <laughs> you should have our own podcast. She's she great. She speaks so eloquently. Did you feel nervous starting the conversation with her? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, she's one of my closest friends, and so I've not really ever struggled being open. Well, I have. I think that was something that does go into the interview that she says that I was um, not as open as I am now when I was a teenager. So I think maybe for her, that was something that she felt that she couldn't talk to me about. And I wasn't in a place that I wanted to. But I, I've never felt any difficulty kind of broaching complicated subjects with her because we really talk about everything. And um, there was so much of that conversation I had to cut out because it was just dumb conversations about how we embezzled inheritance out of a dog. But yeah, no, that's the great thing about friends, isn't it? You can talk to them about really anything. All the dumb stuff yeah. crosses your mind. <laughs> it goes from that to embezzled money. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> I know it was kind of like oh, big God. highs and big lows. <laughs> So many Hannah, how did you feel having a conversation about adoption with your mom? Yeah, no, I I really loved the interview with my mom. I I I was so nervous. I was so nervous at the beginning because I didn't know what to expect, and I think that was one of the large, uh, the sort of recent um, talks where we just sit down and talk about adoption, and it was so lovely and just sitting down and opening up about her journey and. With these conversations, you can learn a lot from one another and um, definitely hearing about their process, uh, my parents' processes, uh, process of adopting me and what they've gone through. And I think that these sort of conversations should be brought up more because sort of when we were talking earlier about the media, how it's normally sort of one-sided and always thinking, oh, it's the happy family, but it, you never really delve into what, factors or what events have led up to that yeah so it's important to show those conversations really um and experiences so you hadn't spoke to your parents about adoption that much before this no well my parents would always have the sort of 5th of december or something where uh, i think it was the day they got my papers or something and they sit me down but i have no recollection really of that and since going off to school and things that there hasn't been it just hadn't really brought that up and uh well uh, on my side it was just thinking oh what is adoption but not really thinking about it and so it's only in the past couple of years where I have started thinking about it and through whatever next it's been lovely getting them on board with this project and sort of much easier to talk about it with them. When did that sort of um, moment, I don't know, that re of realisation that me being Chinese or different looking, I don't know, um, would affect? Well, the first, I was shocked the first time we got, when we got back and landed at Heathrow Airport and there was a, I think it was a Sunday or something, we got this elderly, middle-aged man saying that we had to take you to the health centre first. So we went to the health centre for a chest x-ray, I think he said. And we got there and they said, I don't that's ridiculous, we don't x-ray children. But while we're here, we'll get you into the system, which I was very impressed because mm -hmm. the next day you were here. 
And then when we came back into the immigration hall, passport control, which we were just used to queuing through and walking out the other end, mm. there was nobody in it. It's a vast, vast cavern of a place. And it was dark, and there was just a very officious lady in a dark suit with a little spotlight on her desk. Mm. And I had you were in the British chair. And I just thought, like, you know, we've been to the British Consul, it's all stamped in the passport. I thought mm. we were going to sail through. Mm. And she's, and I'm going through, and she said, mm. stop. And she said, I need to see more um, paperwork. And your father, who's quite mild mannered, picked up his briefcase with two and a half years of paperwork and sort of plopped it in front of her <laughs> and said, which bit of paper would you like to look at? And I was aware that we'd had a long journey and my mother, being of a certain age, I knew she was sitting the other side of passport control waiting for us with the taxi to take us all home. And I was suddenly realised that we'd got an alien. <laughs> this, you know, we got a Chinese baby, and it wasn't an alien. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's what you call it. It's a non. I don't think you mean it. I mean a non-Brit. You know, you're sort of outside. You know, I, that's the first time it really struck home. I love your mum's voice, and I love the way yeah. that you both say "um" in the same way. Oh. <laughs> and the clock in the background. Oh, nice and therapeutic. <laughs> How did you feel when you were talking about that with her? The the racial side of things. Or just in general? Oh, in general. Um, well, for, in kind of racial terms, I kind of knew what the answer was going to be. And so I wasn't shocked. But in general, the uh, yeah, I, I didn't really know what to expect because it was our first proper sit down and chat. But I was just so inspired. I don't know by how, how much they had done what they've gone through um really in the process of adoption and but it was yeah I learned a lot what their thoughts were at the time what how it's changed have you had any conversations with her like since uh I have a little bit she she was (laughs) actually the day after she was thinking well actually I'd really want some time just to swat up then then come back and so then I'm more prepared (laughs) oh yeah so it's really sweet but Get her back, do another one. Yeah, <laughs> play that, play that one, and see her reaction. <laughs> her adoptive parent reacts to something. I think that could be the thumbnail. <laughs> but yeah, but it's definitely made it more accessible. I don't know. The it's it's put those conversations on the table. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> exactly it. But what about you, Addy? Was that something that your mum spoke to you about? Not really. Unless it was on my mind. I mean, we, adoption specifically, we didn't really talk about because I didn't really start talking about it or thinking about it with myself until recently, like a few years ago. And that was more of like an internal process rather than talking about it out loud with friends or family or let alone my mom. So it has, that was probably one of the first conversations that I had with her as an adult talking about adoption, just straight up. I had like brought it up probably throughout the years with curiosity of wanting to go back or wanting to do a search, a search. but she, I think that wouldn't even know where to start and gets kind of emotionally like overwhelmed when we think about the adoption and everything and the, you know, with the orphanage and she, she's like me, like she'll like start crying <laughs> every time I'm like, well, think about it. And I don't, because I'm really aware of that. I don't want, I try not to like go too deep because I don't want her to get upset, you know? But let's take this back to the very beginning. Um, when I mean, when did you guys first find out you were adopted? 
they never really sat me down and told me that I was adopted. I feel like it was just always a part of the story. It was never something that they had to like, not confess in a way, but like reveal to me. They were just, it was just a part of like, I'm Addie, but I'm also adopted, like a part of my identity from the get-go. Um, so I was eight months when I was adopted. My two younger sisters, Lena and Nora, Lena was adopted when she was two months from Vietnam and Nora was adopted when she was two and a half years old from China, but a different province. So I grew up with two moms, a lesbian couple in Kansas City, Missouri, and we were clearly not the average family <laughs> growing up in Midwest America, but I didn't really realize that until I got older. I think that's when I started to feel more aware of how people perceived me and my family. So there was a time when I kind of stopped talking about my family and didn't tell people that I was adopted and had gay parents. But I eventually got over that after college and started to meet a more diverse group of people, um, like traveling and just being out out of Kansas City in general. (laughs) But both of my parents were very like easygoing growing up kind of let us run wild, weren't strict, and really encouraged traveling and having an open mind. Because your mom had that book, didn't she, that she put My together. mom had um, like a journey, our journey book. So she kept all of the like paperwork and documents and pictures and journal entries. And we celebrated gotcha days, adoption days growing up. So that was always exciting for me because I felt like I had a second birthday <laughs> <laughs> for adoption. Yeah, it just was always, always a part of the story. We did have conversations about it when I was 13, when we went back to China, because we did go back to the orphanage and everything. So she's supportive. Like she encouraged me to like travel back to China and like ask questions and and talk about it. It's not like she like ever tried to avoid it. What was her um, reaction when you talk about going back to search? I mean, she's supportive. She's always said that she would support me in it. I think she just doesn't know, have any idea where to start. But you went to those camps with your sisters growing up? Yeah, she, I think she did her best in trying to normalize our family dynamics of being adopted and with gay parents. And because growing up, we were surrounded by other families like us. So a lot of, probably a good, a good handful of my adoptee friends have also have gay parents that I grew up with. And she also made it a point for us to be involved with the Vietnam culture camp, which would happen like every summer and bring families across the U.S. who have adopted from Vietnam to this like family camp slash conference for like three to four days. And we would all just hang out with each other. And for us as kids, it was mostly just kind of getting to hang out with friends rather than talk about adoption. But it was also a time for parents to get together and for them to chat as well. Definitely part of um, our lives growing up. So Mm -hmm. I feel lucky that we were involved with that. One of the questions that we get asked a lot, or one of the perceptions, I think, because people see our Instagram handle and they see UK and they don't really look further. And so they kind of assume that we're all UK adoptees and therefore we share certain opinions uh, or kind of like the the UK adoptee experience is very different from the US. I mean, from knowing us and talking to us, do you think that that's been kind of markedly different experience for you? Yeah, I think that once we start talking more about ourselves and talking more in general throughout the podcast, people learning our stories, I hope that they can see that whatever opinions and ideas we have from our life experience doesn't necessarily stem from our nationality. So if we have difference in opinions, that isn't necessarily because I'm from the US and you're from the UK. It's just because we're different people and have different life experiences in general. And the whole point of our website is that we're bringing together voices of adoptees, no matter where where they're from. What do you guys think? 
I think one of the things that I've found through talking to other adoptees is it very much depends on the families that um, how willing they are to talk about it and address these issues. I mean, in terms of the differences, I would say that there's a different racial history within the US, especially when it comes to kind of Chinese immigration and just racial history in general also because america has far more korean adoptees and so there's they're kind of the precursor to us and i think what's slightly weird about us is that we are this time bracket in history because china's more or less closed its borders to international adoption um and so it was that brief period from kind of like the 90 late 1980s i suppose until kind of mid um 2005 i suppose i mean because i think i've um, through speaking to Han and through speaking to other UK adoptees, I, I do think I was quite lucky to grow up in uh, London. It was at least, it was more multicultural than I think um, Hannah had. Yeah, I think when I met you for the first time in Edinburgh, we were talking about how when I came to Edinburgh, I was like, wow, it's so diverse coming from the south, southeast, and where it was predominantly white. And then, yeah, when I came to Edinburgh, that's how I was thinking, wow, it's so diverse. And that got the ball rolling and thinking more about my racial identity, really. Mm. I, find that, <laughs> I find that really funny when people go to Edinburgh and they're like, wow, this is so diverse. And just like, literally show me where. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I was like when I met when I met you, Hannah, for the first time, and you were saying that, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, this place is diverse. I'm like, girl. <laughs> I was adopted from China when I was 20 months old, and I'm an only child. I think I think I do remember when my mum sat me down when I was age five, but it's always been known um, to me anyway that I was adopted, um, but it's not like a daily reminder saying oh by the way you're adopted it's your daily reminder on your phone <laughs> ding ding you're adopted <laughs> but yeah it's been I I mean because you're always part of the family and yeah knowing that I was adopted was um yeah throughout my childhood but really reflecting on that and what adoption has mean has has only really come about since coming to uni or changing in that environment I think the question came up kind of when I was really little and I think the next door neighbour was um our next neighbour was pregnant and I was kind of I was asking about you know where babies come from and I think my mum said you know babies come from the mum's tummies and I was like did I grow in yours and she was like no darling you came on a plane from China and then so that started the whole kind of this is what we did obviously we love you very much but we couldn't have our own child yada 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 but yeah it was one of those things that kind of just was a fact of growing up I'm also an only child apart from the dog um, I think I remember when I was letting my parents like we could go back and we could adopt another one if you wanted a sister and I was like no I'd rather have a cock spaniel um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't get one but um, I was adopted from China when I was um, I think about 18 months old and I when I was 18 I managed to go back and I managed to find my birth family um, which has been a bit of a rocky road it was a big can of worms it was something that I wanted to do I definitely do it again that's the question people ask most often are you glad that you found them um and I am glad that I found them but it also it's been a mixed bag of experiences have you been back since when you were 18 Uh, yeah so um my degree was in Chinese studies because I was like well I look Chinese I look like I speak Chinese I might as well get around to doing it I think a lot of it was trying to reconnect with the country and kind of understand some of the history and culture and I, I'm glad that I did that. Um, I spent a year of that degree in Shanghai. One of my sisters actually lives in Shanghai. So I was able to see her a bit then, see the family. And I've been back since to visit. My sister got married uh, two years ago now. So we actually got to go over for the wedding, which was really lovely. 
So she wanted to have a pig baby, a kid born in the year of the pig. And so she specifically... <laughs> pig <laughs> she baby. Her wedding and then her conception and later her pregnancy to fall in wow. the pig year. So I've got Whoa. her... Yeah, so he's a pig baby. And I've got a little oh. nephew. And I, I'm, I'm so hoping to... Oh. You're, you're wrapped pig. him in blankets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I knitted him like a little hat over lockdown because I got to knitting and um, I sent it over and it got lost in the post. So he just stand up and it does not fit. Oh it's, no! Oh no! Is he grown? Is he grown? <laughs> no, I just don't know how big babies are. Um, <laughs> Some of them have big how heads. How small did you do yeah. it? It was tiny. It was about the size. It would have fit. Um, I want to say like a little doll, but it definitely does not fit him. It fits his foot. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like one of those you know those um, innocent smoothie hats it's a bit like one yeah. of those only like two sizes bigger <laughs> oh my gosh it's <laughs> tiny but <laughs> he is a big baby aside from that but also I misjudge his head size <laughs> oh so these are examples of the types of conversations that we want to have for the podcast. A lot of the content that we're going to be talking about is already on our website, which can be found at www.whatevernext2020.co.uk. Yeah. Or on our Instagram, yeah. whatevernext2020. Thank you, Solus Productions, for giving us this opportunity. We're really excited Thank to be working on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for our friends and family. If you have any questions, email us at whatevernext2020 at gmail.com. Whatever Next has chosen to help support Rape Crisis Scotland uh, because of all the work that they do to help end sexual violence. Uh, they work with 17 independent local rape crisis centres spread across Scotland, as well as running a national helpline year-round to support anyone affected by sexual violence. Uh, they also work with schools to help teach consent and safe sex and campaign to change legislation and attitudes that allow sexual violence and those who practice it to prevail. Um, it goes without saying that ending sexual violence is a matter that each of us take very seriously. Um, and that's why we've decided to donate the profit raised from some of the stickers that we're selling to Rape Crisis Scotland. If you want to head over to our website, um, they're on sound also through our Instagram just want to dm us thank you thanks for listening to whatever next you can find more of our episodes on acast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts with thanks to kyle webster for editing and mixing this episode whatever next is produced by solace productions Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.